today we do close down this message series called The Greatest Showman. We've been taking a look at some of the miracles of Jesus. And if you've been with us through this journey for the last five weekends, I hope that you realize that he is a miracle worker still to this day. My guess is every single one of us here need a miracle. At one point or one spot in our life, we're going to need the touch of Jesus in our, in our lives. And he still does that stuff. It wasn't just now, right? It wasn't just then. It's now as well. When I was a kid growing up, I uh, had a youth group that was super important to me. So in my middle school, high school years, uh, these people, and it wasn't a very big group. It was a small youth group. There was uh, handfuls, really. But these people were massively important in my life, and they were a safe place for me to, be, to go, right, to their homes or uh, uh, in, you know, Sunday night youth group and that kind of thing. And it was super helpful for me as I was navigating the decisions I was making as a high school kid. And I could just be there and I could be myself and it was great. And they, and they, and they liked me, which was super helpful. And I think all of us need a place and a space and a time for that. It's super hard as a pastor sometimes to find a safe place to be because uh, people are nervous around pastors. They don't know what to do. They don't know, like, oh, are we supposed to just keep praying? Or uh, like, oh, okay, he's here. Great. This is going to be fun. And so pastors have a hard time trying to find a place where you can be yourself because everybody thinks at any moment you're just going to break into a Bible study of some kind or, you know, start talking Greek language things or, you know, um, bless everybody, that kind of stuff. So uh, Jesus had a hard time finding a place as well where he could just be himself. Because everybody wanted a piece of Jesus, a little bit of attention. Hey, can you do this for me? Can you pray this for me? Can you help me? And, uh, and can you teach us some stuff? And, and it was hard for Jesus, I really think, for, to, for him to find a place and find a group of people that wasn't so needy all the time. Why are these people all so needy all the time? But he could find some people who were just friends, right? And you kind of think of that through as like how hard it would have been to grow up with Jesus, but also how hard would it be to be Jesus' best friends? But there were some people in the life of Jesus that were massively important to him. They were his best friends. Outside of his disciples, the guys that he was trying to help and bring along, right, and teach and, and motivate, and get them to believe that he was the son of God. That there was a, there was a group of people, in fact, a, a household, where he could go and get away. It was the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They, were, they lived in a little hamlet called Bethany. It was out, just outside of Jerusalem. And Bethany wasn't a special place. There wasn't really anything going on there. It was a nice little spot and an easy commute into Jerusalem. But, it, you know, but it, there wasn't nothing special there except for the fact that Mary and Martha and Lazarus, brothers and sisters, lived there. And Jesus could just go and hang out. And he could be honest with them. And they would be honest with him. I mean, they were, and he could just be who he is. And they totally believed in him. They totally got it. But they didn't put demands on him. They didn't really, you know, they, they just simply trusted. And they were friends. And it was a good place for Jesus to go. Lazarus gets sick. 
He's in trouble. And they send word to Jesus that your friend Lazarus is sick. Check this out. John chapter 11, verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent message to Jesus telling him, Lord, check this out, your dear friend, not just any friend, not an acquaintance, not just a, he's not a relative, he's your dear friend is very sick. And I don't know if at this moment they're kind of like, we should probably invoke the best friend clause here and get Jesus. You know, we don't ask for much, but, but now we need to ask, can you, you've helped a lot of people. We've watched you heal a lot of people. We've watched you take care of a lot of folks. Can we just get a favor? Can we just get one? We don't ask for much, we've never demanded, but now your dear friend, the one who you love, is sick. Can you come? Please come quickly. Now for whatever reason, and this is kind of odd, as you read through the text here in John chapter 11, Jesus doesn't go right away. It's kind of bizarre, right? It's like, why wouldn't he just pick up and go? Oh yeah, my friend's sick. I should, let's, uh, let's go. Now it might have been because uh, the disciples weren't interested in going in that region because of the volatility that was happening. And they had almost been killed the last time they were there. And so they're like, we're not, no, let's not put ourselves in that position. Don't go. Lazarus will get better. Just pray a prayer and call it good. So they just wait a while. And, and for whatever reason, you know, Jesus has his own agenda here. In fact, he tells the disciples that Lazarus is just asleep. And they said, well, good. If he's just sleeping, then, then he'll get better. And they said, well, actually, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, this is good. Because you will get to see the impossible become true. John chapter 11, verse 16, Thomas nicknamed the twin, said to the fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. Now, Thomas usually gets the bad rap, right? You know, because we call him the doubting Thomas. He's the guy that says, I don't believe that Jesus came back from the grave until I put my hand and fingers in his you know, hands and you know, put my arm through his side. I, I'm not buying the fact that he came back from the grave. So typically, Thomas is one of those guys we like, he's a doubter, he's not a strong believer, but in this instance, Thomas gets it right. And he says, let's go and die with him. And I don't know how, he's like, where he, I don't know where he got that courage at that moment. How did he muster up enough to like, well, let's do it. Maybe he was uh, quoting Gimli in the Lord of the Rings, who said it like this. Certainty of death, small chance of success, what are we waiting for? Thomas was full of doubts. We all are. But in this moment, he gets it right. Where does that kind of courage come from? So they had waited long enough, and they decide to go. And they show up. John eleven twenty one. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if so Jesus has arrived in Bethany, and people find, they tell 
Martha, that Jesus is coming. Martha runs out. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And there's a little hint there of yeah, sadness, but I, almost like disappointment. You could have fixed this. I, if, you'd have to, if you'd have been here, this would, have been, this, would, this would not have happened. Martha understood the greatness of Jesus. She knew who he was and what he could do. She knew he had the power to flip a switch and make everything better, to make her brother better. Um, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And then she says this to Jesus, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. An amazing statement of faith. I don't think that she was thinking, hey, bring him back. But she must have understood the psalmist who wrote this in Psalm 31, 14. But I am trusting you, O Lord. You are my God. She looked in Jesus and locked eyes with him and said, I am trusting you because you are it. You are it for me. You are it for the world. You are God. I totally get this. I like how Joyce Meyer put it. God causes things to happen at exactly the right time. Your job is not to figure out when, but to make up your mind that you won't give up until you cross the finish line and are living in the radical, outrageous blessings of God. The more you trust Jesus and the more you keep your eyes focused on him, the more life you will have. Trusting God brings life. Believing brings rest. So stop trying to figure out everything. Let God be God in your life. And I'm not asking you to raise your hand here, but how many of us have tried to figure out God? His timing. Whether or not he's good enough or great enough. All of us have those doubting moments, those difficult moments when we just said, if you'd have just flipped the switch, if you'd have just did your thing, we wouldn't be at a funeral. We wouldn't be, I, pray, I prayed this prayer. I prayed that you would do something, and you didn't. We try to figure out God, and I don't pretend to even understand the timing issues that he has and why things happen, but my job is not to figure him out. My job is to trust. And if I can't trust his goodness, right? So Jesus says to Martha, outside of their home, Martha, your brother will rise again. Now, I don't know, I, you know Martha says, I, that's true, I, I know he will. And I don't know if she just thought that Lazarus was, you know, like Jesus was being comforting. Like, it'll get better, Martha. He'll rise again. We'll all be together in heaven someday. Uh, everything will be okay. Just, just trust. Because, again, sometimes you don't know what to say at a funeral. Like, right? And so then Jesus says these incredible words. So Martha says, I get it. I understand We'll, we'll be all right. And here's what Jesus said. 
Jesus told her, and perhaps one of the greatest statements ever made by, right, and written down, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Aren't you glad that's in the book? Aren't you glad he said this? I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone and everyone, anyone who believes this will live. So Jesus says, uh, I'd like to go see Lazarus. He's been dead for four days. And it's not a good idea. By the fourth day, he's starting to smell. She says, I, I don't really want that to be my last memory of my brother. I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to have to... I don't want to have to go in there. I don't want to have to. I don't want to do it. Jesus insists. So they go get Mary, and there's an incredible moment of tenderness at this place. And Jesus, Jesus cries at the graveside of his friend, even though he knows in a moment it'll be awesome. In fact, it's probably the most quoted verse in the, in the entire Bible at a Bible camp. Because like, you go to church camp, you gotta memorize scripture because you wanna get points. And that's how we do competition in church. Memorize scripture, get a point. Get enough scripture memorized, get a candy bar. All right. So that's how it works when you go to church camp. So you're memorizing scripture and every single kid, it does not matter if you are a believer or not, you got drugged to church camp, you don't know the Bible from anything, right? You all learn this verse. John chapter 11, right? 35. Jesus wept. That's the entire thing. Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. But it says a whole lot about who Jesus is. By the way, it's okay to cry at a funeral. It's okay to cry at a funeral of a friend. It's okay to cry at a funeral of a believer. Sometimes we don't think we should cry because it's going to, right, that they're with, with Jesus. But Jesus lets us know that it's okay to cry. Even though in a moment, even though in a moment, Jesus knows what's going to happen. He's crying, and Martha's crying, and Mary's crying, and everybody around them's crying. And Jesus says, can you take the stone away? Sound familiar? Take the stone away. In a few weeks, it's going to be Passover, and Jesus is going to say it again. Take this stone away. And miraculously, the stone by itself at that moment will roll uphill into a spot where Jesus is going to blast out of that grave. But this time, he's asking for a little help. So a group of people start pushing a stone away in front of a grave. And Jesus doesn't go in. In fact, he just prays. They all bow their heads. Jesus prays this beautiful prayer. Some of it's written down for us. And then at the end of the prayer, he says this. Lazarus, come out. <laughs> like, can you just see the awkwardness of that moment? Like, 
okay. He has lost it. He is insane. Dead people, especially if they've been dead for four days. He's not mostly dead. He's all dead. He's not, right? He's not in a coma. He's been, he's smelling, decomposing. And at this moment, he says, Lazarus, come out. And probably there's just some weird glances and a little weirdness that's happening. And then all of a sudden, this guy is like waddling out of the grave. He's wrapped up in grave clothes that has been, you know, uh, interspersed with spices. So the body won't smell. And yet, so he's tied up, wrapped up. Uh, He cannot move very well. It's like the penguin, right? Right? That's it. He can't move. Now, I know we sing this song, and I like this song. He called my name, and I ran out of the grave. But that's not Lazarus' story. He asked, that's why we can't sing this. I ran, uh, he called my name, and I waddled out of the grave. Nobody's going to sing that song. Jesus then, here's Lazarus. Jesus says this, take the grave clothes off. That's what you do with a man who's come back to life. You, you gotta let him go. All of a sudden, he has found freedom. Can you imagine now the embrace between best friends and sisters and brothers? I can't imagine one person on that space and on that ground not believing in Jesus as the Son of God. It should have sealed the deal. Everybody should have gone, oh my. Not everybody did that. In fact, some of them ran off to tell the Pharisees in Jerusalem what had happened. Amped it up just a little bit more. They're going to get rid of this guy. Lazarus is alive. Now he's free. From death to life, he's, he's come back. By the way, Jesus still calls dead people to life. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. Now, if you would, just take out uh, your program, and I'd like you to do this for me. Just write down a number. I want you to write down uh, how many times you've sinned. Then if you would share that with the person next to you. Uh, if you're uncomfortable with that, just, uh, the person behind you. They're like, I'm not sharing this with my wife. I'm not sharing it with you. Not, right? We would never, I would never want to share that with even my closest friends, or people around me, let alone you guys. Let's just, I, here's what I would do. I'd lie. I'm thinking maybe like 20, 1,000, right? It would be horrible, it'd be horrible, right? The wages of sin, one or a billion, we're all in the same spot. We all need to come back to life. I don't have a chance at life. He's not just talking about a physical death, but a spiritual separation from God. We're all Lazarus. And for some of us, we've been so 
tightly wrapped with burial clothes because of our sin and our hangups and our hurts and our habits that have just confined us to a life of misery and shame and guilt that we think, I can't even escape this. Jesus says, you can come to life and I will take those grave clothes off of you and I offer you life and a life into abundance. And you are no longer defined by your sin and by your shame and by your guilt and by your past. Ephesians chapter two, verse four says, but God, who is rich in mercy and loved us so much. So if, if that's not in the Bible, by the way, if that little phrase is not in the Bible, we're in big trouble. But God, who is so rich in mercy, and loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sin. Now, when, what? Even when we were dead? I'm alive. I'm, I'm breathing. I'm sucking air here. You're telling me I'm not alive? It's kind of like living on death row. If you're alive, you're just waiting the sentence to be carried out. But even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. 1 John 5, verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son, have God's Son, does not have life. Everything can change. It changed at that moment for Lazarus. Perhaps you can relate to these words from the greatest showman. Because you're just a dead man walking, thinking that's your only option. But you can flip the switch and brighten up your darkest day. Sun is up, colors blinding. Take the world and redefine it. Leave behind your narrow mind. You'll never be the same. Come alive. That can be the real miracle. This only happens because, not because Lazarus came back from the grave, but because Jesus did. You don't get life because Lazarus came back. Lazarus got life. But you get life because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Who finds life at a funeral? Interesting enough. Today we have a couple of people who are going to be baptized. After the last service. And their story is this. A while back they came to a funeral here at our church. For a dear friend. Good man. Loved Jesus a lot. They came to the funeral. And they haven't missed a Sunday since. So today they're going to find life. That's what Jesus can do at a funeral. I wish, wish it wouldn't have taken that. But even sometimes in the darkest and the deep, most difficult moments of our lives, we can find life through Jesus Christ our I am the resurrection and the life and anyone and everyone and you might not have realized that he meant anyone. 
even if I had, what, even if I had done, even if, what, even if this happened, anyone who believes in me will have life. When I talk with people who are going from death to life, I ask them this. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? And then I wait. It all hinges on that moment. If they want to have life, they say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. After that, I, I say, and do you want him to be the boss and the Lord of your life, to tell you what to do? Yes, I do. And then I take them for a moment and I lay them down into a grave. We call it a baptistry. It's right over here. But it might not be here. It might be a pond or a lake or an ocean or a swimming pool or a jacuzzi. It doesn't really matter. And they die. And then they're raised out of that grave. And then what do we say? Put some clothes on. I mean, they have them on. Take these grave clothes off. Take them off. Live a new life. Breathe again. Breathe again. Let's pray. Father God, I hope somebody here says yes to the miracle of a brand new life. That's the miracle that can happen today. That somebody who came in here, somebody who came in here today, just a dead man walking, thinking that was their only option in life, can come alive. Christ, we 